0: You're listening to an audio resource from Vineyard Church of the Rockies in Fort Collins, Colorado. We are joining God's mission, transforming all things, and you're invited. To learn more about us and how you can connect, please visit VOTR.church. Amen. Amen. Man, what a special report. Thanks for sharing, everyone, and It is good to be back. It's good to be back. It's good to be worshiping with all of you. Before I begin, I do want to just say hello to everyone on the live stream. We know many of you are tuning in. So grateful that you're with us and and know that we are praying for you and praying that God will meet you and speak to you this morning just as we expect him to come and meet with us as well. If we've never met before, my name is Jeff. I'm the lead pastor here at the Vineyard. And you haven't seen me for a couple of weeks because Natalie and I and the kids, we've been away on vacation. Which has been really, really sweet. We kind of got to unplug for a few weeks and go back to the Midwest, which we're, uh, is always good in small doses, I feel like. So we're just <laughs> happy to be back in Colorado worshiping with all of you. and it was, it was good. Our family still all lives in the Midwest, so we got to spend a lot of time with them, which was really fantastic. And for part of our vacation, we split up guys and girls and we did a guys trip. Kingston and I, my, my oldest son, um, we get, went to the boundary waters in Canada with my father and my brother-in-law. And we did some fishing and canoeing and portaging and we caught so many fish. We were like stringers filled, throwing fish back by 10 in the morning. I mean, it was walleye after walleye after walleye. And I know, like, I'm from the Midwest, okay? So in the Midwest, you eat what you catch. I realize in Colorado and fly fishing, it's much more of a catch and release culture. I get it. But we, like, from the Midwest, I mean, you catch it, you eat it. And we ate so many walleye. It was amazing. But, like, it was funny because on our way back, we stopped at McDonald's <laughs> and we noticed they had the fish filet, like sandwich. I just want you to know what we had was nothing like fish filet. It wasn't wrapped nicely. It wasn't breaded. It wasn't like this imported cod or tilapia or whatever it is. We were eating fresh-caught walleye, but it was a little bit of a biology lesson for my son, Kingston, because you know, like when you catch a fish and you prepare to eat that fish, you have to go through a process of filleting that Fish. And you, you get to know that fish very closely and intimately. You see all the parts of that fish. And, you, you know, we're fishing, so we're kind of like looking at what these walleye are been, have been eating the last few days. And it's just a whole lesson. It was, it was news for him. And, and it's, it's a fascinating thing because um, the fish is kind of still moving a little bit. It, it, and, and I realize like Sunday morning, you think, you're think you not like coming in to get a lesson in filleting a fish. I realized that. But this was a bizarre experience for him to watch. I, I grew up in Iowa. I grew up around the farm. I'm a city slicker through and through, but my parents both grew up on the farm. And so I grew up adjacent to the farm. I grew up with these kinds of things in my life. So it was normal for me, but it was complete news for him. I actually, like I was telling him, I have this memory of when I was a child, like going out to grandpa's farm and picking out the chicken that you're going to eat and how strange that is. And and there was a stump, there was a stump, a giant wood stump with two nails really close together. I thought that was really strange. And there were feathers everywhere. And I said, dad, why is that stump there? And what's the deal with the two nails? Like, that's really strange. And he goes, Jeff, well, that's where the chicken like rests his head before... You're just going to have to see it. You're just going to have to see it. And I remember like five minutes later being introduced to this phrase in a personal experience, running around like a chicken with its head cut off, right? Like all of a sudden I had firsthand experience of what that meant. I, I, I wasn't used to knowing my meal before I ate it. And just a quick side note, since I'm on a little bit of a roll, did you know that in the 1940s, there was a chicken that survived this whole ordeal? Mike the Headless Chicken, that was his name. It was a miracle chicken, and it happened in Fruta, Colorado, because the West Slope is just a whole other animal, right? (laughs) Mike the Headless Chicken, the farmer went to harvest this meal, and when the chicken didn't die after a couple of minutes, he realized, oh, I've got a miracle on my hands, And like any entrepreneur, he set up a whole sideshow on his farm and he sold tickets. This is a real, this is like, I cannot make this up. He ended up making $4,000 a month uh, on his farm, selling tickets, thinking like Wilbur and Charlotte's Web have nothing on this guy, right? Like this is a whole thing. He became a sideshow of a circus. And and made thousands of pound, thousands of pound, thousands of dollars. If you just like run this money through an in- inflation calculator, he was making about forty, fifty thousand dollars a month on Mike the Headless Chicken, and the celebration has not stopped in Fruta, Colorado. To this day, in early June, you can celebrate Mike the Headless Chicken Festival. <laughs> you really can. We've got a killer logo for it. You can throw that up behind us. Like you can go and check this out. They have a 5K. There's an eating contest where the kids line up and eat peeps. You know those little Easter candies like that are marshmallowy. They probably take the heads off and then just eat as many as you can (laughs) in five minutes or something. Mike, the Headless Chicken Festival, all a real thing and a very strange festival. I've never been, so I can't say anecdotally, but I imagine this is quite weird. I imagine this is quite weird. And if you're here this morning... You've been with us for a couple of weeks. you know I'm teaching Romans, and so you're probably like cycling through, like, how on earth is he going to wrap this into the book of Romans?" <laughs> and if you're here as a first-time guest and you're like sitting next to the person who spent all their relational equity on inviting you to church, like I, I do apologize for all the folks who just got invited for the first time. We're not a weird cult. We're, this is not. <laughs> We are a Christian church, and I have a message from the Bible, but this is a strange thing, and the reason I share it is because, um, well, one, I'm coming back from vacation, and I get all kinds of weird stories when I go on vacation, but more importantly, Paul, he gives us this really bizarre idea in our passage for today. This really peculiar calling that we all share as Christians and we all share as followers of Christ. He introduces us to this paradox, but in a lot of ways, he's borrowing from the ancient scriptures. He's borrowing from the Old Testament, like he does much throughout the book of Romans, and he's applying it to our present day. And this bizarre idea is funny and we can chuckle about it. It's a bit gruesome if you allow yourself to go there. But it's a passage that says that you and and I and every single one of us who call upon the name of the Lord, that we are called to be a living sacrifice, that you are called to be a living sacrifice. If you think about that phrase, it's a weird phrase, it's a bizarre phrase, and, and if you would have read this for the very first time, it would have meant all kinds of different things to different people, but it's kind of a graphic image if you think about it. Paul says that once you've given your life to Christ and you've surrendered your life to that you are his, that you are adopted into his family and forgiven forevermore, that from that point forward, you are called to be a living sacrifice before God. We're going to talk about what that looks like and what that means and the resistance we can all expect this morning. But let's read these two short verses at the beginning of chapter 12 together. Paul begins by saying, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Romans 12, verses 1 through 2. And it says that phrase, right, that you are to be a living sacrifice, a living sacrifice. Now, up to this point in our series on Romans, you've been introduced to all kinds of different theological ideas, all kinds of different doctrines and thought. You've been introduced to some of the most important doctrines that we adhere to as, a, as Christians. And, and one of them we've talked about for multiple weeks is that phrase justification by faith. Justification by faith, that you are forgiven, you are chosen by God, you are adopted into his family because of your faith in Christ alone. You, it's, you're not adopted into God's family because of your perfect behavior. It's not like you've attended church long enough that finally he accepts you. It's not like you've given enough that he finally receives you. Is it like you went on a mission trip, you know, 10 years ago, or, or even last week. And because of that mission trip, now you are saved eternally with God. No, scripture teaches us that the, throughout the book of Romans that you are saved because of your faith and your surrendered life to Jesus. For almost 11 chapters, Paul begins to pull this idea out in in theological thought, that you are saved by faith. For 11 chapters, he talks about this. If you've never made a personal decision to give your life to Christ and and surrender to him fully, then I just want to let you know that later in our service today, we're going to give you a chance to make that decision. We're going to give you an opportunity to lay your entire life down before him, to surrender to him to give your life to Christ for the very first time today, because this is the most important decision you'll ever make. But this is how the book of Romans begins. For 11 chapters, it's largely about what we think about God, what we know about God, what we can understand about God, what we need to believe in our hearts. 11 chapters largely about theology and doctrine and understanding. And then you come to Romans 12, and this is kind of the turning point, kind of the tipping point in the book of Romans. If you wanted to take the book of Romans and just kind of simply break it into two chunks, there would be the first chunk, chapters 1 through 11, and the second chunk, chapters 12 to 16. And the first part, it's theology and doctrine and what we know about God. And the second part is now that we know these things and now that we believe these things, how are we going to play them out in our life? If that's what we believe, if we believe we're saved by faith, if we believe that God's called us to to be good messengers and how beautiful are the feet, as Bristow said last week, of those who share the good news, if we believe those things, then now how do we apply that to our life today? And that's Romans 12 to 16. This is kind of the break point in how Paul is writing this. John Stott, the famous author and theologian, said that Romans 12 is kind of like the famous halftime speech where the coach gathers all the players together and really encourages them and empowers them to go back out into the world. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who's maybe one of the more influential Bible teachers of the mid-20th century, he, he once looked at Romans 12 verses 1 through 2, two small verses, and he wrote 10 sermons on these two small verses. In preparation for today, I've just been listening to them and allowing him to preach to me 10 sermons on these two short verses. And one of the things that he unpacks in these verses is this really big idea that, that Christianity isn't just about thinking. Thinking. It's not just about thinking the right thoughts. It's not just about understanding theology and doctrine. Of course, all of those things are incredibly important. But Martin Lloyd-Jones says that, that in this point, we realize it's not just about thinking. It's, it's a lifestyle. That Christianity is a lifestyle. That your, your discipleship and, and your ability to follow Christ, it, it's, it, it permeates your heart and it permeates your life. And it begins to impact the world around you. It's not enough to just think rightly about God. That means to impact you and impact others. And so at the beginning of Romans 12 then in verse 1, you run across this fascinating phrase and, and a peculiar one at that where we learn that you are called to be a living sacrifice, a living sacrifice. Imagine hearing that for the very first time. Imagine hearing that for, the, for like the very first time in, in maybe first century A.D. I mean, you have to remember that Romans was a real letter written to real people in a real time in a real place, And before Jesus, the sacrificial system was everywhere. Other religions used it. They sacrificed animals. And so this would have kind of made sense to them. And of course, if you were a a Jewish person, you would have understood the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. They sacrificed bulls and lambs and doves. and, And they did all of this because blood, the blood in those sacrifices were a symbol for the forgiveness that they needed. Now, we're here today in 21st century America, and we we have all of Scripture, and we have history to look back on, and so we've been given this advantage that we know that all of those Old Testament sacrifices, they were pointing to Jesus. They were promising us what Jesus would someday come to do, be the ultimate sacrifice, fulfilling all of the requirements of the Old Testament, that is, through the blood of Jesus Christ, his innocent blood that was shed on the cross, that you are forgiven today, But before Jesus, the sacrificial system of the Old Testament, they used animals as a symbol of this future freedom that we all now get to enjoy. And when you read the Old Testament and you read about these sacrifices, if you've never put these pieces together, I'm going to help you really quickly. Um, When it says they sacrificed an animal, it means that that animal died. It's pretty earth shattering stuff, right? I realize. But sometimes, like, we read that and we read it in a paragraph that this person sacrificed an ox before the Lord, and we just go to the next paragraph. But listen, this was a huge ordeal. This was a long process. Earlier, I talked about fish, I talked about a weird chicken named Mike, but. We have examples all around us of what this potentially looked like. I mean, you live in Colorado, right? If you've ever gone elk hunting, if you've ever harvested an elk, you know how long this process can be. It is a complete, heavy, messy, all-encompassing ordeal because that that's a huge animal. Imagine an ox. Imagine an ox 4,000 years ago with the tools they had back then. And this had to have been a wild experience. It was big, exhausting, all-encompassing event, and in the end, it meant that you had a dead animal, and I know it's kind of gruesome to think about, but I really want you to capture how this would have been heard the very first time. There were organs, there was blood, there was it was, it was, it was, it was a mess. It was a mess. And then here comes Paul and he does what he's been doing this entire book of Romans. He borrows from the past. He borrows from the Old Testament scriptures and he applies them to us today. When he says, you are to be a living sacrifice. You are to be holy, which simply means set apart from the world around you. You're to be a sacrifice before God. That like those old dead animals in the Old Testament, your life, if you live it this way, will be like worship before God. But here's the key difference and one that we're all probably extremely happy about. You don't have to die. You get to be a living sacrifice. But that is your calling as a follower of Christ to be a living sacrifice. It was a bizarre statement when it was first read. It's still a bizarre statement for us today. It's a a hard thing to grapple with. And one of the reasons why it's so challenging, if you think about the old sacrifices, although they were big and the animals were incredibly messy and there was all kinds of odd things happening around those sacrifices, the old sacrifices were a lot easier than the living sacrifices we're talking about today. Because they, they were easier because they died, and then it was over. Like the old sacrifices, they, they would die, and then they would be burned up. and that was it. But a living sacrifice is, is it's something totally different. And then the fact that you are the living sacrifice, not some animal in your place, that's totally different. A living sacrifice means that you have to sacrifice every day, because you're alive. It means every hour, it means every moment, it means every breath. It's deliberate, it's continual, it's, it's a consistent process of you offering yourself to God over and over and over again. It means you need to put to death your own dreams and your own freedom, your own power, your own control over your own life. It was a radical idea back then, but listen to this passage in 21st century America where we love our freedom and we love to do what we want to do and how we want to do it, and when we want to do it. And if it's not happening the way we want to, we can pay more money to make it happen the way we want it to happen. And Paul is saying, that's not the, that's not the gig. The gig is to be a living sacrifice, to lay your life down before him again and again and again. I'm quoting Tim Keller now, and he said, you know, the trouble with a living sacrifice is that it keeps crawling off the altar. <laughs> Old Testament sacrifice is easy. The an animal's dead, it's laying there. But the problem with a living sacrifice is that it keeps crawling off the altar. We're a living, breathing, worshiping people. We trust in God and we do our best. Of course, we make all kinds of mistakes in our pursuit of Jesus. But it means that We're laying our life down day after day after day, time after time after time. Our our hearts, though, they, they do tend to drift, don't they? Our minds, they do tend to drift. Our hands and our feet, the way we live for Jesus and the world around us, we tend to drift. And we realize that sometimes it's a lot easier to crawl off the altar and live our own lives instead of the life that Christ has for us. And because of that, every now and then, it's just, it's just important to read a passage like this and not like skip to verse 2 where we all love, oh yeah, he's transforming my mind. This is going to be so good. No, linger in, in verse 1 for a moment. And, and just take a spiritual inventory this morning. And just be really honest with, with God and, and with yourself and just ask the question, God, is there anything in my life that's trying to crawl off the altar? Is there anything in my heart? Is there anything in my mind? Is there anything in my relationships? Is there anything in my life that I have not surrendered to you? It says in verse 1 that this kind of approach, this prayerful approach to life, is true worship that is pleasing and honoring to God. It's worship, it says. And you know, when we gather up here and we have the band and we're all standing and we're lifting our, our hands and we're lifting our voices, that's worship too. That is worship too. But worship is laying everything down before God. It's all of your life laid on the altar. It includes singing, but it's also your time, it's also your talent, it's also your treasure. I mean, think about every category of your life. Is it surrendered to the Lord? What would it look like if your sexuality was surrendered to God? What would it look like if your, if your work was surrendered to God? What would it look like if your family was surrendered to, your, to God, your relationships? What would it look like if Sunday morning was surrendered to God, but not just Sunday morning, also Friday night? What, what if your day to day was surrendered to God, but not just your day to day, like all of your time off, your vacations, even? What if it was all surrendered to God? Is there anything that's crawling off the altar of your heart? You know, last week I was—this is was about two weeks ago now—I was just—I was in a really grumpy mood with God. I was—I was cranky. Actually, I was mad. I, I got into a debate with God which never goes very well, by the way. But I was in this debate because I was on vacation, and I felt like the Lord tapped me on the shoulder and highlighted someone and said, I, I want you to go and minister to that person. Will you go and, and minister to I said, God, I don't want to do that right now. I'm on vacation. I minister all the time. Like, that's what I do. I'm on vacation right now. God, do you really, like, really? Right now? I just, I just felt like he said, do you want to? Do you want to partner with me in showing that person my love? Showing that person that I care for them, that I still love for them, that I want to forgive them and redeem them and set them back on track. Will you go and represent my love in this moment and in this time? And I was just in a bad mood about it. I was, I was upset, right? Because for me, time, time gets guarded, Time for me is one of those things that I kind of, it doesn't just call off the altar. Sometimes I push it off the altar. And God is saying, like, is everything mine? Is everything about your life? Is every, will you surrender it all? Will you just go love that person and just go talk to that person? And I realize that maybe for you, you're listening to that, and that's not a problem for you at all. Like, you just, like, sign up and you go and talk to that person. But for me, like, I just wanted to rest and relax and not think about anything. And now I was thinking about how I'm still very earthly and very human, I've got a lot of consecration and sanctification that still needs to happen in my heart. Is anything crawling off the altar, you know, living like this, living about what we read about in chapter 12, it can be painful. It can cost you something. It will cost you something. A sacrifice, I mean, think about the language, sacrifices hurt. Even though you're alive, even though you're a living sacrifice, it still feels like something might be getting cut off or it still feels like to a certain level, like there, you might be experiencing death. And I'm not saying that following Jesus is like this miserable endeavor. Don't hear me wrong. I can confidently tell you that living in the freedom and forgiveness of Jesus Christ is well worth the personal sacrifice. But living as a sacrifice before God day in, day out is still costly. It's still costly. In one of his 10 sermons on these two short verses, Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, if becoming a Christian hasn't caused problems in your life, I'm not sure you're a Christian. Now, I can read that because I'm not saying it. He said it, and you can apply it to your own life. If becoming a Christian hasn't caused you some problems, like we should just pause and ask ourselves, have we surrendered our life to the Lord? Are we living for him in all the areas of our lives? It's not all roses. Following Jesus isn't all perfect. It's not all fluffy clouds and and golden heart plane and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Just perfect meditation all of the time. Following Jesus isn't always easy. When you become a Christian, problems will come your way. You, You might be called to forgive someone that you don't really want to forgive. And when you step into that, it can bring a fair amount of pain up into your heart, but God's inviting you to lay it down. If you become a Christian and you start talking to people about it, it may cause some problems in your life. If you grew up in a family that doesn't know the Lord and you tell them that you've given your life to the Lord, your family might think you're a bit strange. Your friends, they they might start distancing themselves from you a little bit. If you're surrounded by students who aren't following God, they might think that you're a little odd. Your coworkers might all of a sudden see some strange things in your life. You'll be invited to sacrifice by acts of generosity. You'll give up Sunday mornings to come to rooms like this where we all sing the same songs. You'll even put a spiritual target on your back. Because the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and he just wants to make sure that every time you try to get started in following Jesus, he's got some kind of attack to keep you from ever taking that first step. In recent years, a popular Christian message has been, hey, come to Jesus, and he'll take care of everything for you. Come to Jesus and everything will just be health, wealth, and prosperity. You'll be blessed. I'll be blessed. We'll sing kumbaya. And guess what? Everything will work out beautifully for you. But the more you read the Bible, the more you study the scriptures, the more you read passages like Romans 12:1, the more you realize that the biblical message is actually come to Jesus and learn to die. Come to Jesus and be a living sacrifice. You'll need to lay your life down. And guess what? It's not always going to be easy. There are going to be moments of incredible bliss. There are going to be moments where you experience the kingdom. There are going to be moments where you experience healing and, and freedom and forgiveness. And all of those promises are worth this temporary, temporary moment where we lay our life down and we feel the pain and it costs us something. But that's the biblical message, to be a living sacrifice. Are you willing and are you ready to lay it all down? in order to embrace the promises of Christ. If your answer to that is yes, for the very first time, or if your answer to that is yes, but some things have been crawling off the altar, then I just want you to know that when you affirm yes again, you need to expect resistance. You need to expect resistance. Everything is going to work against you living as a as a full and complete living sacrifice before God. It really is. Tim Keller's quote makes so much sense. We resonate with it because we all have little parts of our life that try to crawl off the altar. And so we realize we're working against ourselves. We're working against ourselves in this. But guess what? Satan's gonna work against you too. Because when you, when you didn't believe or, or you believe maybe, but you just kept it to yourself and you weren't really living for the kingdom of God, the kingdom of darkness didn't really care that much about messing with your life. But now that you want to be a living sacrifice, guess what? You're going to experience resistance from the enemy as well. And the world, the world is going to work against you also. As we read in this text, verse 2, it says, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. There's not a moment that goes by in your day where the world isn't trying to get you off the altar. There's not a moment in your day. Every news station within earshot, every podcast that influences you, every social media post, every TikTok video, every political or social agenda, all of them, all of them are trying to get you to be shaped into their image, not the image of Jesus. I love how the Phillips translation reads, and I don't always share from the Phillips translation, but I love how they translated verse two. It says, don't let the world squeeze you into its own mold, But let God remold your mind from within. The world has its way in your life. It will try to change you and mold you and shape you and form you into its own image. It's going to send you messages all the time. spend this money or buy this thing or live this way or be uninhibited and do whatever you please. And the promises on the other side of this is just freedom and happiness and power or whatever it is they're trying to sell you. But they're all false gods that will only give you temporary pleasure. And leave you just as broken and needy and desperate as before. Jesus came for so much more than what the world has to offer you. Don't be conformed or molded or fit into the image of this world, but be transformed into a new person in and through Jesus Christ. The scripture says a living sacrifice in his image and in his way and in his timing. And why? 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 Why do this? Why go through the pain? Why go through the cost? Why do anything or care about any of this at all? Why take a spiritual inventory of my own heart? Why be a living sacrifice? And the answer to that is throughout the the entire scripture, but it's highlighted for us in verse one. Let me go back and read verse one one more time as I prepare to close. And so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. Paul says, I plead with you, I urge you, and I I appeal to you. Give your bodies to God as a living sacrifice because, because of all he has done for you. We respond to Jesus. We lay our life down day in, day out, breath in, breath out, moment by moment by moment, because of all that he has done for us. On the night Jesus was betrayed, when he just had a handful of hours left with his disciples to pray with them and teach them a handful of more teachings. In John 13, 1, it says Jesus loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. He loved them to the very end. From that moment forward... He was rejected, betrayed, arrested, beaten, stripped naked, crucified on a cross, and buried in a tomb so that you could be received into his family, given the promises of the kingdom, saved for eternity, completely washed clean. No qualifiers. No yeah buts, no but those years in my past or that thing that nags me that I can't be unhooked from, none of that. Jesus Christ died for you. He broke his body so you could be made whole. He shed his blood so you'd be forgiven forever. And now by receiving the free gift of salvation, we can begin to experience the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And the promises that we cling to today are only a foretaste of what will become. This is why we live for God. This is why we embrace the calling as a living sacrifice. He loved you unto the very end. So, dear brothers and sisters, in the very words of Paul, I plead with you, I urge you lay your life down before the Lord as a living sacrifice because of all that he has done for you. Let's pray.